Welcome to Snapshots and Second Acts. I'm Abina Adujan. You can learn a lot about someone from the photos they take and choose to share with others. Each episode showcases the stories behind each guest's personal snapshots and their pivot into their second acts. My guest today is Valerie Fisher, a neurolinguistic programming practitioner with over 20 years of experience in advertising and marketing. We talked about how she uses her life story and unique skills to help businesses transition and thrive online. And I should just love well, Valerie, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, in my Instagram account, I tag myself as a dreamer, a storyteller, and a marketer. So um, I've always been a dreamer, and I think I, I, you know, I take that with me wherever I go, even when I was a child. And then a storyteller because um, I create when I was a child. We would take the jeepney here in the Philippines. The public transportation is called the jeepney. And in my head, people that I will see, that I will see, I will ask myself, like, what are these people's stories? What are they? You know, what are they like? How are their lives like? Do they have kids? What's happening? Where are they? Where are they going? Or where are they coming from? And then um, I also call myself a marketer. Because I actually use those stories now that, you know, uh, in the past when I was a child, I just concocted in my head. But now I listen to other people's stories. I, you know, I also share my own story and I use that for marketing. And I use that to also help other people sell their products and their services. So those three, those three words are kind of the words that I describe myself. You know, you talk about being a dreamer. And I think that closely aligns with that first photo that you sent, which is, yeah, which is you at age 15, you're wearing a yellow cap and gown, and you're giving an address to the graduating class. Yes. So where was that photo taken? Tell us a bit about that day. Take us back. Yes. So um, that photo was taken on our graduation day. A few months before that, three or four months before that, my mom passed away. Um, she battled a kidney disease for four years. When she was actually diagnosed, the doctor said she only had, you know, between three to six months to live. Wow. But we fought through it. We extended her life. The, the, the land that we were supposed to inherit, we, we sold them. We did everything. My dad did everything so that we can extend her life. But, um, you know, after four years, she passed away. I was in high school when this was all happening. You know, when you're in high school, um, things are happening in your head, in your body, in your emotions. So it was a really a difficult time for me. But then, you know, ever since I was a child, I remember I was seven years old. I already knew what I wanted. So I did not let the, my mom going through all of these things, the family going through all of these things to stop me from what I wanted. I would wake up, you know, at three in the morning so I can study for an exam, I can study for a quiz. And, you know, um, all this, all this while my mom was going through stuff. And so that also, by the time that my mom wakes up, you know, I'll already be there because we had some medical stuff. So when I graduated that day, people knew because I was, um, I was a first honor all throughout high school and they all knew what I was going through at that moment. So when I finally uh, went on that stage to do my valedictory address, everyone knew the story behind me being there. Yes. And 
know, I didn't want to cry because I practiced for days. You know, I had my aunt practice with me. I'm like, I don't want anyone's pity. But then at the end, you know, my voice cracked and I rushed out. <laughs> I rushed out of the stage of embarrassment and the principal and the owner stopped me in the middle and, and hugged me. And, you know, I received a standing ovation because of what I said and because, you know, I think it's also because of the story behind my speech. What was that story behind the speech? It's really um, telling my classmates, you know, whatever happens in their life, they can really push through anything. The the operative word is through. You have to go through it. (laughs) You have to go through it. And I think that my being there on stage was living proof of that. And then I also thanked my, my teachers who let me sometimes go early, go home early because I have to take care of my mom. And then at the time that my voice cracked was when I thanked my mom for really believing from the very beginning. Hmm. That is so, so wonderful. You know, I'm going to keep going back to that theme of dreamer because I love that. You mentioned that, you know, by the age of seven, you knew what you wanted to do. And so what was that? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's so funny because at that age, so I was seven years old, I wanted to become a lawyer. Okay. And I knew a lawyer would need to study hard, would need to write a lot, would need to be, you know, strong in her convictions, his or her convictions, has to know what she's talking about. So I tried to live up to that, you know, those ideals or those values that I thought at the time, I was seven years old. I don't know, actually, I don't actually know a lawyer then. I just knew I wanted to be one. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't have a role model. I didn't know anyone who was a lawyer. I just knew I wanted somebody to who will fight for justice, who will fight for other people's rights. So it was that value of uh, the conviction and the need to help people. I see. So even in my choice also, when I was in high school, you know, I I knew I needed to be brainy. <laughs> I needed to study hard <laughs> if I wanted to get to law school. You know, even the course, because I finished broadcast communication here in the Philippines, it's a pre-law course. So there are credits when you want to be- become a lawyer. Ah. It's uh, it's interesting. But I didn't become a lawyer. Well, that was going to be my next question was, you know, you had this vision as a seven-year-old of going to law school. And so I think that kind of ties into, again, that dreamer. <laughs> Were there other dreams that you wanted to fulfill that maybe... When I was nine years old, um, I, my mom, because I was a really shy kid. I was a really shy kid. And um, so to kind of counter that, my mom enrolled me in a, what do you call it? A theater class. A summer theater class. And then from there, I think because of the experience, since we were, you know, we were not rich. So my mom had to earn extra to get me to a, it's a luxury. It's an additional expense. Right. And so I was, you know, you know, I was surrounded by rich kids, kids of politicians, kids of businessmen. And I, I felt my status in life. <laughs> I felt, you know, my, my I'm there and they're there. You know what I mean? Right. And so I also felt like someday, you know, someday I will also get there. I'm going to bring us out of here. (laughs) (laughs) In theater, I learned how to be on stage. So my confidence grew. So I think that was a, you know, a pivotal moment for me because I realized I can do so much more that I will not let are standing in society stop me from being more or, or, or 
being better. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the questions I had was, had these dreams when you were younger, did you always see that as being within your reach? Or did you see it as something that I dream about doing this, but I don't know that I'll ever get there? When I was in college, my classmates were buying Lonely Planet books. You know, when they were first popular? Yeah. <laughs> when they were first popular, and they were like, buy things. And, and I'm like, I'm not going to buy that because I don't want to tease myself because <laughs> I don't think I'll ever go to the to those countries. So I'm not even going to read. Okay. So that's a dream that I did not think I will have. But the others, the others, I knew I can get them. For example, if even right now, if I just decided to go back to school and study law, I know I can do it. It's just not a priority. You know, it, things change, life changes. Right. So there are things that I knew I can do, mm-hmm. but there were also things that I kind of stopped myself from even dreaming about because I, I didn't want to get disappointed. But again, life happens. Here in our mini library, I have, I don't know, a collection of Lonely Planet books. <laughs> and, and from places that I have been to already. That's fantastic. So even if at that time when I was in college, I didn't buy them because I thought, I didn't think I was going to get to those places. That still did not stop me from dreaming about those places. Right. And that's, it's great that you jumped into it. Cause I was going to ask, did you ever have the opportunity to travel? I did. I did. My first ever um, solo trip. Well, okay. So I started with my first job because I know how to do it for myself. And this is what I try to help other people with to manifest. Manifest and then do. Because I think that that's where people stop. They think that when you try to manifest and dream and vision, that stops there. You have to do. Okay. So my dream was to travel, right? My very first job allowed me to travel all over the Philippines. Wonderful. And then the second job that I had, I was based in Cambodia. So I was able to travel to Southeast Asia. Ah. And then another job that I had, I managed the international sales group of a real estate company. And that allowed me to travel all over the world. Wow. So this is what I mean. You have a vision, but you don't stop at that vision. You have to take steps in your life to get you to where you want to be and to get you to not only to do, but to be that person, to be that person who travels, to be that person who appreciates cultures from other countries, who who appreciates tradition and language and the arts from other countries. So you have to do. I think that you, that's, that's the thing that people have to realize. You have to do. <laughs> So what would you say then to someone who, because it does get very easy to get stuck, right? I can make a million lists of all the things I dream of doing and not take action. And so what would you suggest to someone to prompt them to take action? Number one, I was just actually reading about procrastination. (laughs) This morning, there are many, you know, many, many different ways. It's not about willpower. It's not about, you know, kicking yourself or punching yourself or, you know, telling yourself all of these bad stuff that you're lazy, you're an idiot, you're stupid because you haven't done these things. It's not about the willpower. It's, I think, about motivation. You have to imagine that's where, you know, that's where the visioning comes in. You have to imagine being there, seeing the things. In NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, we call it modalities and we call it future pacing. So it's a combination. What do you see? What do you hear? Who's with you? Is it hot? If you want to travel, what does Alaska feel like? Cold, but how cold? Right. (laughs) You know, how do you imagine how many coats are you wearing? 
How did you get there? Who are the people with you? What do you smell? Does it smell of the sea? Does it smell of ice? You know, what, do you, what does it taste like? So it's, it's that. And then also to get there, how do you accomplish impossible things? You do or you take little, simple, possible steps every day. Right. Because that's how you do the impossible. You know, you take impossible steps. So like, for example, you want to travel. What is the first possible step that you can take? Save. Maybe in the Philippines, you know, we save, I don't know, like $5, $10 every day. You won't feel like it's impossible right now. But when you, you know, combine all of that money, it becomes possible. And then also you celebrate the little win. So if, for example, after six months or after a year, you've already saved a little amount and you can say, oh, this is already enough for a trip, you know, for a for a, an airfare. Mm -hmm. You thank yourself because when you thank yourself, that's when, you know, um, oxytocins and dopamines come out, the neurotransmitters in your brain. And it makes you feel good. And even when you feel good about it, it motivates you again to take the next possible step towards your impossible dream. Interesting. I, I like that idea of rewarding along the way rather than waiting as and seeing that trip, for example, the ultimate trip being the reward. Um, and then if you never get there, then you haven't actually celebrated those little possible wins yes. along the way. So yeah, I love that. It's, it's interesting when you talked about being on stage and you're the valedictorian and your speech was met with applause. And I sort of saw that applause as a bit of foreshadowing for how your life would progress, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I know that you had dreams and you seemed like you were incredibly convicted uh, at that young age. At any point, did you feel, do you feel any fear? Yes. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. It is knowing full well <laughs> all of your fears. But still going through and getting what you want anyway, knowing all of that. You know, I quit my job in 2018. It was a very lucrative the job that they let me travel all over the world. You know, a lot of people will kill for that job. Yeah. But um, back in 2015, 2016, I read a book by Simon Sinek, Start With Why. And then I also did a, an, an assessment of Gallup's Strengths Finder. So around that time, I was thinking, you know, I have been so blessed with this job that lets me travel all over the world. I am, uh, you know, one of the youngest, you know, assistant vice president in marketing of the biggest real estate company in the Philippines. It's huge. But why am I not happy? Why, why am I not feeling, feeling it? I, I wondered what else is out there? Because I'm a dreamer. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I want to see, I want to see other things. So I quit my job and that was scary. You know, that was scary. I have to admit that I would have probably, because I thought about it several times, but it would not have been that possible if I did not have my husband. I knew that somebody, if I fell, if I, you know, make the, make a mistake, I knew I, I was going to get back there again, but it will be easier because I have my husband, mm -hmm. you know, but I was scared. I was, I was scared at that time. So that was when, that was the first. And then the second was last year when I lost my job. Okay. I mean, I, I can name many, many other instances that where I was scared, yeah. but last year, last year was really difficult. In what ways? Would you say that, that it was more difficult last year than when you lost your job in 2018? Because when I lost my job in 2018, I saved up for it. I prepared for it. But then last year, when I lost that job, I was only three months into the new role. I was a chief marketing officer. 
And then it was at the start of the pandemic. It was April 6th. Wow. <laughs> April 6th. And I wasn't prepared. I had some savings, yes. But in 2018, when I quit my first job, I started the business, my first business. Mm. So my money actually went there. Right. So I wasn't prepared that I was going to lose this new job. And so how did you manage? Like what I said in my valedictory speech, you have to go through it. Mm -hmm. You have to really feel and let the emotions flow through you. I was scared. I was, you know, everything was so uncertain. I wasn't sure where we were going to go. I was also ashamed. I was so ashamed. <laughs> yeah, embarrassed to say, me? I lost my job. Right. Being the achiever that I am, I couldn't tell people. I was so embarrassed. The part of the healing was, I told myself eventually, when things worked out, that that rejection was a redirection. Mm. That losing my job actually became a relevant part of my brand story. That became the foundation of how people relate to me because I, you know, I went through that at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of people, just in the Philippines alone, 5 million people lost their jobs. Wow. I love how you claimed it, right? And as you said, went through it. You grieved, as we all do, but you seized it as well. You actually mentioned this phrase, which I thought was great. And I don't know if you noticed, I smiled immediately because in putting this together, I label the photos. So the first photo, I labeled it graduation. And you used the phrase of your life being on stage. And I actually called that photo, the second one that you sent, I called it on stage. So that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a photo of you posing confidently where you look very happy, radiant, very self-assured. So can you tell me a bit more about that picture? I think that being on stage does not necessarily mean being on the physical stage. Especially in the world that we have right now, it can also be when you say you're on stage, you're in people's environment, you're on their radar. You are an influence. You are able to persuade people because that's what people on stage do. Whether you are an artist, whether you are a, you know, a theater actor or a motivational speaker or even a lector or a priest. <laughs> so going back to Simon Sinek, in that book, it took me two years to finally get this, but he asked the question of what is your why? Mm -hmm. And I was so serious about finding it that when I finally got it two years after, I tried to live my life that way. And, I, and my why is to inspire courage to create change. And being on stage right now, um, whether it is on actual stage, virtual stage, even pages, when you're when you write, it's also a stage. It's a, a stage for you to um, share your voice. It is now to live up that why of inspiring courage to create change. The on stage one is really to share that message. You know, even without realizing it, that's how I've been living my life mm -hmm. from when I was young when people clapped for me because I inspired courage. Yes. <laughs> now that I teach and train new online business owners that they too, they too can transition their businesses online, that's also inspiring courage. When I speak on the NLP stage, I, I um I'm one of the speakers of the NLP summit. That's also, you know, inspiring courage. The NLP Master Summit, which is happening right now, at least uh, while we're recording, 
it is a summit of the best of the best neurolinguistic programming trainers all over the world. When I saw that ad, because it's a Facebook ad, and I immediately signed up, I did not stop there. I emailed the organizer. I said, I know this is a long shot, but if you are still looking for speakers for this summit, I think I'm a good fit. Nice. I emailed the organizer, and three days, I don't know, a week passed, and he replied, he said, I love long shots. <laughs> I love long shots. So are you available to record your topic on this day, whatever? So I'm now part of that. That's great. Because I didn't stop myself. I didn't stop myself from doing it. I've only been an NLP practitioner for three or four years. Mm-hmm. And they've been, you know, 30 years in the business, 20 years training NLP. But I knew I had something to share. That's really great. So you had also briefly touched on a number of life experiences that have occurred between that first photo and the second photo. It's entirely up to you how much you want to speak about them, but they're life experiences that are, they're life altering. How did those experiences shape you? Um, Number one is when I um, worked in Cambodia for a year. I knew no one. I was here working for a mall um, a mall company in a, in a coliseum at that time. And I just emailed my former boss. You know, I'm going to Thailand for whatever, if we can grab a drink. And he said, hi, how are you? Um, are you happy with your job now? <laughs> Out of the blue. I'm like, why? Because <laughs> uh, we have an opening at our Cambodia office. Uh, you know, if you're going to Thailand, maybe my general manager can meet you there because he's always there anyway. I went and I met with a general manager and got the deal because he was my also the owner. I arrived in Cambodia knowing nobody. So that one, that experience, that one year experience taught me that I can do things on my own. Hmm. I can really re- rely on myself. I can, I mean, there are people I can ask for help, but I can, I can do it myself. Now that's one. The second one was, um, I had an American boyfriend, so 2010 until 2012, but he was murdered in a robbery in a convenience store. He was buying cigarettes and he, you know, robbery, give me your money. And he refused to give the money and he was, you know, shot four times. Wow. So when that happened, I realized once again how life was really short. Yeah. It was um, an eye opener again. Because I lost my mom before, maybe I forgot how life was short. And then here we go again, the world reminding me that life was really short. You know, he would just, he just came back from my apartment. I was calling him and he didn't reach home. My friend was actually the one who found out about his death because he was on the news, on Twitter. Oh. Uh, he, yeah, because he's, he's an American living here. And he was on the news and she, she was like... Um, what's your boyfriend's name again? I said this and that. And he's like, I think you should read Twitter and read the news and watch the news. And that's how I found out. So that moment, you know, uh, of course, again, you go through it, you grieve, you remember, you let yourself mourn, you cry, you let yourself be, you know, I don't know, floating for a few months. But when that happened, you know, I told myself, life is really short. Mm-hmm. And so I should start living my dream and, and getting going after my going after my dreams. That led to my, my actually my dream trip 
I went to Paris on my own. Wow. <laughs> I went to Paris on my own. Because, you know, I wanted, I wanted to travel to, you know, experience the world and to really, because, again, life is short. At the back of my head, I'm like, I'm going to reserve Paris for when I have a boyfriend again. I'm going to reserve Paris for my honeymoon. I'm going to reserve Paris for something. But I'm like, why not now? Mm-hmm. Why not now? And so that's what I did. <laughs> I went to Istanbul and then Paris and then Belgium and then Amsterdam. But I made sure Paris was... I was in Paris December 25, Christmas Day. Fantastic. And I was in the Notre Dame praying for the life that I was given. And really just thanking, you know, thanking the universe, thanking the Lord for being there at that moment. So those two, those two uh, pivotal moments in my life. So I always am very curious, you know, your thoughts on how you think you would be different if you hadn't gone through those experiences. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) I won't have stories to tell. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but most of our conversation, I always tell stories. You know, it's it's really based based on stories. When I was young, younger in college, I said, you know, I'm going to live my life as if in a way that my grandchildren will be very proud of me. Mm-hmm. Will think that I'm a cool grandma. Except I didn't have chil- I don't have children. So I know I won't have grandchildren, you know. But my niece, my niece's kids will think, oh, she's a cool grandma. Because she's done that. She's been there. She's accomplished all of these things. And I won't have stories. I be I believe that the best people are those the ones with the best stories to tell. Yeah. And they will only be able to do that if if they went through a lot of difficulties, a lot of triumphs, a lot of victories. Wonderful. I love it. <laughs> this one question I have to ask was one piece of advice for those who are listening. You mentioned that your advice came from your mom. Yes. Who said that, quote, we all have different stories to tell. You don't know what is happening in a person's life. So always be kind, be compassionate, and try to listen to what is not being said. So how would you say that this has guided your life? My mom worked in a uh, parole and probation uh, part of the Department of Justice. She's a corporate nurse of the parole and probation. So they would always get prisoners who would go through them, the nurse, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, they have, there's a group of them to make sure that they get the parole if they're mentally and emotionally stable enough and if they're not going to do anything wrong when they're let out. And so they would hear the prisoner stories of why they were put into pr- in prison in the first place, the difficulties, the the things that are happening with their families. Some of them are even innocent or still claim to be innocent. And some you know, pe- some of them promise to be good while they're out, etc., etc. And so that's, I think, you know, why it was so important for my mom to tell us that. Because these are prisoners. These are supposed to be hardcore criminals. <laughs> right. Who also have their own stories to tell. Yes. We don't know what led them to that. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be punished, but they have stories. They have stories. And we have to always understand that they might be coming from a different place. Hmm. They, you know, we, we don't know that. And so try to be compassionate. Try to be kind. Um, I, my husband 
ordered um, salad the other day. And he's like, oh, this person forgot about this, etc., etc. You know, I asked, I asked for two pieces of whatever. And I'm like, you know that this pandemic is difficult for a lot of us, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I try to remind him. I, you know, I even I complain. I remind myself they're having a difficult time. They are, you know, there's lack of manpower. They are undermanned. They're probably getting only 30% of their salary. All of these things. And we don't know if this is a working mom. You know, she has a sick child at home or her parents are sick of COVID. At the moment. We don't know. So let's always try to be kind and compassionate and listen to the words that are not being said. You can view my guest snapshots at the show's website, snapshotsandsecondacts.com. I'm eager to chat with people whose decision to embark on a second act has taken them to places they could have only previously imagined. Do you have your own story to share? Let me know at snapshotsandsecondacts.com. Theme music for the show was provided by The Permanent Residence. Thanks for listening.